Hello and welcome to the Power Rock Podcast. We're only speaking with Alec Kokel of the Nashville-based indie rock band Safari Room today about their music, their latest album, Complex Houseplants, and more. The band is shockingly unsigned by any record label at the moment. And if it was up to me, they'd be on the radio and touring nationally already. We'll dig into one of Nashville's best rising bands, Safari Room, right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock bands around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. All right. Hey, and welcome to the Power Rock Podcast. I always kind of do that really fast. Powered by Rock Podcast. It's like I'm just making it one word now. Super stoked for the show today because I'm going to be speaking with Alec Kokel of the band Safari Room today. I literally found out about these guys because Alec just sent in a music submission and I was like, all right, I always listen to them. Uh, not always good. Most of the time, it's actually most of the time the bands that send me stuff is pretty good. Not always, but uh, in this instance, I was actually blown away. I was like, hey, uh, your music's pretty good. What's the deal with the, the band? And so reached out uh, when well, now we're here talking to him. Hey, Alec, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Isaac. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there are going to be a ton of people who probably haven't heard of you guys yet. So uh, let's kind of introduce you guys to them right now. So obviously you guys are now based in Nashville, but you weren't all originally from there. How did you, Chris and Austin kind of join up and form this band in, in the beginning in, in the first place? Yeah, so we all met in school. Um, I was a year ahead of them. Uh, we all went to school together. And um, and this school was in some uh, place in Nashville. Near? Yeah, okay. in Nashville. So we all went to school in Nashville. And um, I'm from Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska, originally. And actually, on the, the slide or the intro, I saw that you interviewed Tim Kasher, and that like made my my heart skip. Yeah, that's very I'm like cool. wearing all of his shit right now, too. Oh, like, gosh, yeah, I just was like, oh, Tim. <laughs> um, <laughs> And there's a funny story that I think I have about Tim um, that I don't even know, but our parents know each other. So long story. Interesting. Um, and Interesting. then um, Chris and Austin are from uh, the Ohio uh, area. And so we all met there. I was a year ahead of them in front of school and kind of all friends of friends became friends ourselves. And I was putting Safari Room together. And there's kind of been a, a mixed crew since I put this band together four or five years ago mm -hmm. right after i got out of school in 2017 and but austin and chris have been almost kind of a through line throughout all that gotcha and so i think one thing i noticed is that you guys don't seem to have a full-time basis is this something that you guys are currently looking for that you guys currently have or is it just kind of whoever's uh, available kind of joins you guys on, on 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 live shows we're super lucky i mean nashville is an is a city that is full of really amazing musicians and really kind people. And so we've been able to tour with um, our friend, Emma Lambiazzi, uh, Connor Gravinovello, uh, Hunter Mulkey, uh, and uh, Cole Yepsen. All, like all four of them have been wonderful to tour with. Um, and it just so happens that we don't have a bass player to stick with us at the moment. But I think that's, it hasn't been prescient at the moment. Um, but I think if something clicks down the road, that would be sweet. But I think it's, uh, 
it's cool in Nashville because everyone kind of has their hands in a bunch of different pies. And so it's kind of hard even to like nail people down for a long-term project. Yeah. Well, especially when they're in like 10 different bands, cause that's how it goes these right. days. Right. Right. <laughs> and I think that, and that's interesting, like being the band leader and kind of the, the, the hearth, if you will. Um, I definitely kind of struggle with that as far as this is kind of my baby and I only do one other thing on the side musically and everyone else does like six different things. And I think that's great. It's just, I know that I can't split my brain and keep Safari removing at the same yeah. pace. So, yeah. Well, it's like that phrase. It's something like don't half-ass two things, whole ass one thing yeah, or something like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and the project that I'm doing right now on the side has been really nice because it kind of, is helping to accentuate and also give me some rest from touring um, with Safari Room for the moment uh, while we kind of hibernate and figure out what's next. Yeah, sure. Now, you seem relatively young. I think you said that you graduated in 2017, so I'm guessing you're mid-20s to early 30s? 27. 27? Okay. Yeah, so... A young child. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's kind of like... I mean, I'm fucking 40 now. I feel like an old man, but it's like the the uh the amount of good music out there it's like it seems like the wheelhouse is between like 25 and 35 of really good music and then everything after that is like it's still good like people older but yeah. it's usually the bands that already kind of did something previous kind of kind of just you know making new music so Absolutely. um it's very rare i find a really good band that's like 22 years old right now some of them in fact i'm doing a podcast with a, a, another uh group that are from vegas who are all in high school and in middle school, they're 15, they're holy all shit. siblings, 15, 14, 12. I'm like, holy shit, these guys are really good. But name? saying that, I mean, obviously you're kind of about a half generation, almost two full, uh, full generation behind me as far as like age wise, what kind yeah. of influences did you have when you were writing this music? Cause I kind of get some, and you've mentioned some um, on kind of your band bio and stuff, but kind of yeah. explain if nobody's ever heard of Safari Room, what kind of influences you had? Yeah, I think one of the big ones, and I think it's very easy to hear, is Death Cab for Cutie is a big influence on me, especially through college. I became a huge fan. Um, I listened to Grizzly Bear a lot. Um, that's a, another out, or another group that I think bleeds into this music. Yeah. Um, I brought up Tim Casher earlier. I think Cursive is a big one for me growing up. And um, I'm trying to think of other bands. I know that Biffy Claro is my all-time favorite band. Mm-hmm. I don't write music like those uh, fellas, but at the same time, I can't help but think that I'm like, oh, I want like a big rock sound sometimes. <laughs> so I think yeah. Biffy Claro is big. Um, and the band Elbow from uh, Manchester, UK, okay. uh, I've, I have I found a few years ago and it just kind of became obsessed with their music and just how they... Uh, how guy garvey uh expresses lyrically and melodically i think that's been a really big uh that's, for me. that's quite a range because actually i mean there's a little bit of everything from you know that folksy yeah. art indie rock to some heavier stuff to i mean some all over the stuff all over yeah. the place stuff but like the one it, band, uh, like a cornucopia yeah yeah for sure have you ever heard of the band the deer hunter by any chance they're I based have, in but i've Washington never listened now. to them Okay. And I think you should. I, and the only reason why is because your voice and your vocal tone and some of the, even some, some of the music you guys play. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's like super similar and, and, and right. but it's like, you guys would be like a great uh, T 
team up. Like if you guys ever played a show together, it'd be like a fucking amazing show. Well, if the deer then, are listening to this right now, uh, here's our, our submission for consideration. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would highly recommend listening to them though. They're, I mean, their, their new stuff is like more sci-fi stuff, but the old stuff yeah. was more, um, it's still, fi- it's like fiction writing. They're like world creating, but it okay. was more based on like a romantic relationship kind of thing. Or, uh, anyway, okay. I digress, but I really get a lot of tones and vibes from, from your band to their band. But yeah, I definitely get Grizzly Bear there. There's a lot of tones with that too. Right. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Death Cab for Cutie. So I'm actually kind of surprised okay. that you mentioned that because yeah. in my opinion, you sound a bit more, 80s than death cab for for cutie in, in some ways but also the vocal uh, ability in my opinion is not nearly well in my opinion death cab for cutie singers voice is a bit annoying and, and high, high i've high i've gotten that same feedback someone once yeah. said that and then i'm gonna offend if ben gibbard is listening to this but someone once said that we're like death cute death cab for cutie if uh ben gibbard was a better singer and i was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like thanks but also like i love ben <laughs> so yeah 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 it's, i think it's it, funny it, with like what i'm listening to and what inspires me and kind of like the output and also yeah. like on that end where it's like oh i'm listening to like uh i don't know like a band called russian circles which is like an instrumental metal band out of chicago um and plenty of like daughters um and stuff like that where i'm listening to things that I don't think I could articulate in a musical output. Whereas, and then I'm getting feedback where it's like, we sound like fleet foxes, young, the giant local natives. And I've really never listened to any of those artists. And so it's kind of funny how that all kind of mixes around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I actually have never spent much time with fleet foxes. I've listened to quite a bit of young, the giant. I, I mean, there's the genre similar. I wouldn't say you guys sound anything like young, the giant though. They're, I don't know. They're a little bit more poppy on the rock side. Yeah, you guys are more like, rocky on the pop side. <laughs> it's kind of like that umbrella of like indie yeah. rock. Like very, yeah, very exactly. big indie rock. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So being from Nashville, I, I can assume the music scene is quite saturated there. I know plenty of bands. How do you guys, you how do you feel you guys stand out from kind of some of the rest out there? Because hmm. a lot of people have a very similar sound in Nashville. Every time I hear somebody from Nashville, I'm like, okay that's definitely a band from nashville or that's a band from austin or that's a band from chicago but yeah we especially on the road we hear like they go oh we definitely knew you were from nashville like once you started playing they're like bands out of nashville just sound like clean and precise and i think i'd never want to go around being like like that we are this like completely flawless fine tooth like like factory made, like yeah. impact um, rock band, because I think all the bands that I admire don't necessarily operate that way of this like pristine clean. And I think yeah. Nashville has that. Um, hear my dog. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nashville has that reputation that like there's kind of a there's like an ego and there's like a even like a skill level, um, and I. I understand that because of what people come to Nashville to do. But I think sometimes I fear that Nashville has kind of like a snobbish uh, uh, reputation. Sure. So, and so I guess as far as that, 
sometimes I like to forget that we're from Nashville just because it's like, hey, we're from other places, but we just call Nashville home. It's yeah. not that we don't want to be from Nashville. It's just like would love to stay away from the um, the reputation we can't control. Yeah. Okay. So- I was going to say. Yes, I was going to say, I think, I think the, the whole, I get the, the, where are you going with from like, you know, people jumping to conclusions when they hear the word Nashville band, right? It's yeah. like LA band, like, Oh Jesus Christ. Here's like a guns and roses ripoff or something there's like, like that. There's like a reputation like, that like yeah. New York and Nashville and LA have of like, yeah. there's a certain specific ilk of artist or band yeah. And as much as possible. I'm like, yeah, we live in Nashville, but like Nashville doesn't define our sound. Yeah. I think there's so many artists and so much music that comes out of here that is kind of counterculture to what people think. And I yeah. think Nashville's tricky because it's like Broadway. You think of yeah. like the touristy honky tonk Broadway. And like that is not the output truly of like what <laughs> Nashville has to offer. And there's a lot of like Americana and like folk and rootsy stuff that comes out of here. But like I feel like it's just it's more of a cornucopia. It's more colorful than that. Sure. And just yeah. like the Broadway music. Yeah. And I think there's a nuance in your guys' sound that, like you said, I mean, there's, there's such a good sound that you can get with the talent that, you know, both in town and, and around Nashville where you can record mix master with, with really good talent and stuff like that. 100%. And I think, I think because it's so adjacent to a country music scene and those people are super polished, uh, right. musicians where like if they put something out it's like these are like you know working with the absolute best producers the best recording art like recording sound people and everything and it's like adjacent to that and it's like it's you know it's just the step away from that but it's like you can get that for like a non you know gigantic yeah. record label price so Absolutely. it does sound polished but it doesn't have to be so um fine packaged as you as you said exactly and i think like the recording industry is is shifting dramatically i mean i had a buddy pointed out this way where it's like so you have billy eilish i can't remember what year her second record came out yeah 2019 yeah Yeah. um like the one with like bad guy on it um yeah that one best engineering and the engineering on that record is the two of them on a laptop with a microphone yeah and so it's like, so that being this, like now, like, and I know Grammys aren't everything, but it's like, that is such an interesting standard to now set the bar of like, oh, like there are, and there were people making music on their computers before and whatnot, yeah. but it's this new interesting precedent of like, oh, like music can be made anywhere and it doesn't even have to be the best sounding music. Not saying that Billy Eilish's music isn't great sounding because it's fucking unreal sounding. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like you you can make a record in your bedroom and if it hits people the right way, money. Yeah. So and so I think that's such an interesting thing. And when I started the band, I fell into a co- and fell into some friendships that were uh with um now my brain isn't working started working with some friends who had amazing studios like in the back of their house yeah professional grade studios amazing gear and also owned and run by wonderful humans and so i think there's that is also going on while there's people making like million dollar records down the street and so it's like you can do both or i mean it's like why pay 
like a thousand bucks a day for a studio when you can either go to someone else's house and just be around them in cheaper space and with a perhaps more creative um, freedom. Or yeah. I mean, it's what we're doing right now is like we're recording this next record or whatever it's going to be um, in our houses. Like so like I have my studio rig here and our Austin's rig for drums and stuff. And like we've made two studio records in studios, like paying for studio time. And it's like, let's try something different. So, yeah. It can only be downhill from here, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we asked about kind of like where we stand in Nashville. And I feel like that's kind of a, I, I can only have kind of an emotional response to that, that question because, and the way, I, well, the way I'll phrase it is that I think if we wanted to be like Nashville's biggest band and not tour and not focus outside of that, I think that would be achievable. However, our vision, my vision is set past that. Yeah. And I think like whether we start climbing in Nashville's popularity um, before or after we start making bigger waves outside is kind of not super important to me. But I think if that happens where it's like, all right, we're starting to make real big noise outside of Nashville, it's going to be like, oh, well, then Nashville can catch up. And yeah. like, see what they've maybe been missing out on. So yeah, I think well, I'll tell you, it's like, it, 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 I'm kind of in, it, I'm treating Nashville kind of like every other city, just because yeah. I think it's such a hard market to tap into. So it's yeah. like, if we start making a big buzz in Columbus, then like, we're going to try to go play Columbus more, for example, as opposed yeah. to like trying to, and like, we only play maybe once every four months here, just because it's, it's like sardines of musicians. So yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, uh, I'm not a religious person, but obviously the Bible is something that most people know somewhat about. And right. even the people from Nazareth, where Jesus was born, didn't believe him to be the son of God because he's like, yeah, it's just Joe's, Joe's little kid. Like, what? Yeah. he's not so special. <laughs> like, right. yeah. And then everybody else is like, he's like the greatest gift to God, you know, to mankind. He's the son of God. But they didn't yeah. see it that way. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I've I've had to do it that way because I think there ends up being a lot of like, like, oh, I'm super bummed that, like, we're not getting, like, as much traction here and whatnot. But then it's like, oh, like, set your sights further. And it's like, okay, it's just another garden that we're trying to yeah. water as we go. So Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let's jump into the music because I found the new yeah. album, Complex Houseplants, to be truly excellent from start to finish. Uh, one funny thing about it is that after I got all the way through it the first time, I was like, man, the only thing that could make that, you know, even better is if they would put some like heavier sound parts into some of their songs. Well, then I went back through it and I was like, oh shit, never mind. Like, I hear it now because, like, you know, how when you first listen to an album, you kind of just listen to kind of absorb it right. and just kind of like be, a, you know, let the yeah, emotion of the album kind of sit hard. in. Yeah. And you're not, you're not dissecting some stuff. And then I go back and I listen to songs like Speak Slower and Garden Talk and, and uh, Garden Talker. And, and there's certain points where just blasting out. And I'm like, holy shit, like, that's awesome. Yeah, those songs so, pop off. So, yeah. And as I say, they, they kind of simultaneously, when they do that, it kind of crescendos to where it's like, it almost makes you want to weep, but also punch holes in walls. So it's like, really I want to flip a table over, but it's like, also like, oh, shit's kind of sad. It's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's cathartic. That's what it's, yeah. Yeah. So how do you kind of know when it's a good time to rock out on a song? Because overall, the music's a little bit more subdued than that in tone. Damn, that's a good question. Um, well, I try not to give shitty questions. So. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> 
otherwise it'd be a very long hour. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think if nothing else, I have a tendency to rock out more than I think the rest of the creative entities in Safari Room want to. And yeah. so I think that's a that's them kind of reeling in like like oh this is gonna be like a big rock outro and it's like maybe not. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, because we did that two songs ago. Um, <laughs> but I think I kind of think of like the story of the song. So like especially you you listed Speak Slower and Garden Talker, where Speak Slower is this like it's like tight and very methodical and kind of spooky and eerie, and it's very complex throughout the whole thing with rhythms and melodies and like descending stuff. And it just feels anxious the whole time because yeah. I, I subtitle that song an ode to social anxiety because that's what it's about. And so I feel like at the end, it feels like the cathartic just throughout the whole outro. And like, I've been really inspired by Idols, um, the band from Bristol, UK. And so I'm like, I just like want to just bash my guitar for a minute. <laughs> and so I feel like that is a good song to like, have it be really really pent up and then have that cathartic outburst at the end yeah and so that feels like it's like that's like going with the story and kind of same with um garden talker i um think of that song kind of like uh fix you by coldplay maybe it's a little too on the nose but like how the end is just like you can just feel the gray's anatomy um outro credits playing as it goes <laughs> and so just having that like big open with kind of like the anthemic part yeah um feels it's funny you mentioned coldplay because i do get some coldplay vibes from your music at some at times as well and i'm like this is kind of like the scientist a little bit a yeah. little bit like this and some of that stuff so yeah yeah thank you i mean so yeah so like with the end of garden talker it's that kind of bringing it all together like that whole yeah. message and i kind of feel like garden talker specifically um is kind of the culmination of like the whole record um kind of the narrative of that yeah uh, like uh we're not that different and so i think of the similarity of everyone in like the last two years even though we're all trying to like rip each other apart and be as polar as we can um i think that like finding that similarity through basically shared trauma yeah. that's kind of what garden talker is for me of like having that realization like coming to the top of the mountain and realizing that was like a bigger mountain but it's like celebrate this one so yeah yeah for sure i mean um you know and then i was gonna say because speaking of celebrating and then kind of having these victories i talk about you know i want to talk about small victories because <laughs> this is like the starting song on the album or uh you know starting song of the album as well and every time i listen to the album i'm just like i'm like all right i know it's good but I can't remember exactly how good. And then I hear that song start. I'm like, oh, fuck me. This is so good. Such a really good song. Thank you. And, you know, it seems to be like it's, it's you know, it's got a, quite a, a rocking out vibe on that one as well. Yeah. But um, lyrically, it seems to be connected to someone trying to help move past like the daily challenges in life. Um, you know, yep. we won't dive, dive deep on every song, but I am curious about that one as the lyrics seem to get uh, a little bit more intimate, but not too specific on anything. Can you kind of explain the frame of reference for that song, Small Victories? Yeah, I think it's just um, a needingness to get up and move um, out of stagnancy. And I think uh, we have a song off the last record called Young Water, which is kind of like mm -hmm. a, a happier form of Speak Slower, where it's like, you can do this, you've got this, it's going to be great. Um, but I think Speak Slower 
more delves into like the darkness of like feeling pent up and like tied down by like the minutia of life or just not being able to like kind of like even to like get it together and um figure out what comes next so yeah. i think get out of your sweatpants for example yeah exactly and i think <laughs> that's also with um the last two years it's like everyone yeah. stuck and i not that the entire record is about being in a pandemic um but i think there was definitely a spark of that idea of like okay like I need to kind of crowbar myself out of this situation or, and I think it can kind of be transient of like, whether it's like this job, this situation, this relationship, like whatever I'm feeling stuck in, I got to I got to make something happen. And I think that same like big anthemic hitting of all of our instruments, like feels like that breaking out of the door. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think obviously the first album was created, before the pandemic and then the second album obviously was created in that time but it doesn't feel like a pandemic album it doesn't specifically say like oh you know i'm dealing with covid or anything like that (laughs) um it just is it's you get that sense of isolation and when i was younger i always remember like anytime an album seemed to come out in the winter or be recorded in the winter it always kind of had that isolation vibe to it and just made you like really think and like kind of like sulk a little bit i'm like man this is fucking like it's heavy but it's like that's kind of kind of feeling I get from this. It's not so much like, you know, two years of isolation. It's like a season of isolation, a winter kind of thing. And um, I think it's done really well in that sense of like, not specifically saying, Hey, you know, we're all in this thing, like, you know, unity and, and that's all bring it together, but it kind of does in in a a more nuanced sense. And I, I, I appreciate the word nuance. I was just about to say that. I think I don't like saying like, like proper nouns almost like I don't like speaking directly something i like to kind of curtail and and yeah. nuance my songwriting as opposed to just like for some reason i don't like what like writing the word like cell phone or like telephone yeah it's like an object like i don't want to talk about yeah. this thing i want to like, find like i don't want to talk about modern technology because then I, in I 20 years it's going to be outdated <laughs> i want to find an interesting way to talk about that yeah. um yeah. and so i think that to me is like i'm not going to be like this song is called pandemic day 34 so it's yeah. just like Cause that would be a little too on the nose. And I, and I knew like a year in to the pandemic that obviously like a bunch of art was going to come out of this. Sure. And so I think I didn't want to be amongst a choir of people talking directly to the issue and yeah. having a more, and not that that's not a creative way, but like having a little bit more of a nuanced, um, interesting way to talk about it. And also for it to be, I mean, I like to make music that feels timeless or can transition with people. And so um, talking about something incredibly specific, you can kind of. I mean, it's not like you have a big head or anything, Alec. You're just making timeless music that sounds incredibly professional (laughs) and clean. And yeah, Yeah, no, I can just. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. My ego, my ego is doing really well today. So probably two of my favorite songs, especially off the new album, and you did mention, um, you know, a couple of songs off the last album, but the new album, uh, Best of Me and It Just Takes Time are incredibly, incredibly good songs. And, and I'm telling you, like, I literally like almost every song, like I do like every song in the album, but like the degree of me liking one song over the other is like, man, that's, I don't know, but like those two stand out and I don't really know why, but I know you did a, 
I think he did a music video for Best of Me. I don't know if he did one for It Just Takes Time. Maybe both, actually. So, um, yeah. So we actually did one for It Just Takes Time. We took a camcorder on the road with us. That's right. I saw that one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Like, handed it to audience members at every show when we played that song. And that was really <laughs> funny. And we got some weird footage from that. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we did that in kind of like a tour video. I've always thought those are kind of fun, just like yeah, look like on the road. And then yeah. back to me, um, we didn't do a music video, but we submitted to like the Tiny Desk concert. That's and right. We did like a live version at Austin's house. Yeah. Um, and did that with also like five different non-matching cameras. Like it was like two iPhones, like a <laughs> camera and like a shitty digital camera. So I think that like that was kind of just like no one's like like sending us money to make a huge music video. And I was like, this yeah. is efficient and it'll be kind of fun. And it's, I think with that, the budgetary restriction, like it's, it almost pays to be a little bit cheeky of like, Oh, we know this isn't like the highest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only thing, the other thing is that the actual, from what I remember is you played it live and it's just like, you know, one take of sound. So it actually sounds incredibly well or, you know, incredibly Thank good you. for a live essentially recording. Thank you. Yeah, I, that that yeah. turned out pretty darn well. And like, it's it was fun to take that song live because it is so piano driven on the yeah. record. And so it's like it's kind of reimagining it in a live setting with just guitars. So. Yeah. And I want to talk about Best of Me uh, specifically because it, it kind of gives me that 80s rocker sound like Bruce Springsteen um, that he kind of oh, yeah. made popular. You know, you, you talked about Americana. It's I don't ever want to call Bruce Springsteen Americana. That's kind of more like John Mellon Camp or John Cougar sure, kind of thing. Sure. But yeah. but Bruce Springsteen has something about like just like the driving force of a song. It just always seems to move forward and just kind of no matter how you feel like it's going to end up, it just keep, seems to keep driving. And that's kind of what Best of Me kind of feels like to me. And I think it's got the, the, the piano and stuff like you said. But, um, but first of all, who's playing? Is that you playing the keys on that? And, yeah, and- I played the keys on that. Yeah, so you're not just a guitar player singer, you also play piano. I also so, play yeah. bass on the whole record except for one song. So nice, yeah. <laughs> so I continue to inflate my ego. But yeah, yeah. So <laughs> all the keys on the record are me. Nice. What was it like to the kind of pair the music to the lyrics on this one? Because it really does feel like it could be it could explode at any given time, but you kind of rein it in. That was one where I was super, I think we were all super intentional about like, this can't become a big outro or big bridge or something like like having the bottom drop out on the choruses was super important to it. Kind of like, it does feel like, Oh, this could be so big. Like, why didn't you guys do this? And it's like, well, we've done it on like six other songs. Go listen to those. Um, Tell that to Kings of Leon for Christ's sake. Exactly. It's like not every (laughs) single song needs like this big raucous outro says the guy who writes songs with big raucous outros. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think with that one, it felt it's so um, compact and personal. It's almost kind of like a note to self. Um, And so to, make it bigger than the the narrative would like felt would feel uh disingenuous to kind of like the introspection that it's trying to evoke um but yeah i think that was a fun one to kind of like i think that was one of the first ones that we recorded that had piano and so that felt super special as far as just like venturing out a little bit from the first record and bringing in keys 
Yeah. Is that something that you naturally have played over the years or is something you just kind of started adding on as you started recording? Yeah. So, I mean, you can see behind me, I'm, my thing is mirrored, but I can't. So I'm really confused on which direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got a piano from my job. They're like, yeah, this is just sitting here. And if you can pay to move it, you can have it. So I paid like 300 bucks and I have a piano. And so I got that early in the pandemic because um, I was just looking at stuff and I was like, that'd be kind of cool to have at the house. Um, and so I started writing on the piano a lot more. Um, I grew up playing piano um, from about five to 10. And then I dabbled from like 10 to 17. And I took lessons uh, going from like late high school into college and then some of college. But um, I've always enjoyed how I write on piano differently than I run a guitar. Yeah. And it's fun to like take a song that you write on the piano and move it to guitar and song you play on guitar and move it to piano. You get different ideas spark. Sure. Um, but that one felt very much like broody, like a few chords and just like the truth of like, oh, this this is really tough right now. Um, yeah. And so I think that was, it's like weird to just call us a sad song fun, but it was fun to see that one come together as far as just like, oh, this is me branching out into more, I wouldn't say piano driven, but piano uh, centric songs. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It makes sense. And I feel like we've already had a, a few too many compliments and I will say, I don't often compliment the chops of singers on the show. I'm not sure why, but I, I think I've only done it like four or five times where, yeah. you know, I've said, you know, Hey, you got really good vocals. Uh, but I would say your vocals are like, we've talked already pretty, you know, polished, very clean. Um, you sound like a singer who's been singing for 30 years, but with a young man's tone. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that's highlighted incredibly well. And it just takes time that that chorus is so well done. It sounds like a John Mayer with Michael Buble kind of infused in there kind of, oh, wow. uh, Tone. Kind of that breathy yeah. yeah exactly so it's it's it, when i hear it I, I literally think it's like oh that's john mayer michael buble and, uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> if john mayer was singing it so what do you attribute to your vocal tone i i you know it's always something i'm curious like how do people learn how to sing like that and do you ever feel like you kind of have to hide how good your voice is to sound like you're not too professional or over overproduced Okay. So I have to attribute, um, remind me about point two, if I get if sure. I get tangential, um, I have to attribute a lot of my vocal prowess, I would say to going to school for music. Um, I was a vocal performance major. And so, um, so that I, helps. I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I was super inspired to do music in college and I was going to go, um, go to school for guitar because i was like i don't see myself doing much else other than playing music but i knew that i wanted to go to school and also kind of in and move away from nebraska sure so what's wrong with nebraska nothing's wrong with it i just (laughs) need something different i didn't want to go to another husker game that's really yeah um and so well they they keep losing that's why right they haven't been good since tom osborne so and i'm actually shocked that i just threw out tom osborne but that's true the last great nebraska coach so yeah it's like the, it's like vote it's not voting uh it's like rooting for the cleveland browns and i know yeah. that if any nebraska fans listen to this or does listen to this they're gonna be very pissed that i said that but get a better football team going um yeah i digress um 
So I was going to go to school for guitar originally. And then I had a really, really awesome voice teacher um, who's since passed, but he encouraged me. He's like, man, like you're doing voice lessons and like, you're doing all this stuff at school. Like, why wouldn't you go audition for voice? And I was like, Oh, I never thought of that. So I auditioned for voice and got into school music um, here in Nashville. And really, I think that helped define, um, not define, but really accentuate those skills. I think I had a lot of stuff up here that I wasn't able to uh, materialize outside. And so I think having a stronger voice, having a an easier flowing voice through four years of rigorous training, I think helped uh, yeah. to basically whatever I want to hear outside, I can machinate forward. So, yeah. Um, and then I guess what? for, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, it feels, and, and when you say that, it's actually funny because it's kind of like, you know, when you want to, say you want to be a painter and you can visualize what you want to paint in your head, but there's no, absolutely no fucking way you can do it on canvas because yeah, your no, talents yeah, are just yeah. not there. It's very similar to sound because your ears, because your sound is coming from your own head, sound different. Your sound sounds different to you than what it sounds like to the rest of the world. So it does take a lot of practice to kind of figure that shit out. Yeah. And I think that's like over the years, that's just how musicians figured out of like, Oh, like I have these, like, it's kind of like Brian Wilson. I like remember seeing love and mercy and how they like showed how his brain worked um, yeah. in a very dramatic way. Um, <laughs> But just being able to like agree or not agree, but just be like, oh, yeah, I like hear stuff in my head. There are lots of voices, but there's also lots of like music and stuff. And yep. so I think being able to sing better, even like an, a 10 percent better, allowed me to um, make those ideas come to fruition. And training for four years plus, I think, accentuated that even further. Yeah. And then the second part was, uh, yeah, do you feel like, yeah, so it's funny. Cause like, and I, I, it's funny how you put those questions together because I don't, I, not that I feel embarrassed or ashamed. It's just like, it's odd to be like, be like, wow, you're such a good singer. I'm like, yeah, I'm trained to do that. And yeah. so it's like, it, it does feel kind of weird where it's like, but at the same time, I feel like that uh, the quality of singing that I want to achieve doesn't, necessarily come without like busting my ass for years sure and some people just right out of the gate sing like that and that's amazing like some people are amazing at calculus and some people have to work really hard to get it right um and so i think i'm definitely the latter perhaps with there's obviously predisposition or whatever but i'm like i really had to work hard to get my voice where it is so that yeah. i could i could do what i want creatively and so i think um, do I have to, do I feel like I have to hide it? I feel like I kind of try to bury some of the, the, the history of it where it's yeah. like, Oh, if you really want to know, I'll tell you. But yeah. <laughs> um, otherwise I just am like, Oh, thank you so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. it. And, and I, I've I, noticed that usually when somebody gets a compliment, especially like on singing or, or guitar playing, they're like, Oh yeah, no, you know, I, I think it sounds cr like crap or whatever. They're like devalue yeah. themselves to like try to seem modest, but it's like, you have to know you're a good singer. You have to know you're a good guitar player. You you know that, like, yeah, you know how hard you worked at it. You've been doing this shit for 15, 20 years. So. Absolutely. And so I think, and, and that's also that same idea is like, I'm trying to do a little bit more self-love and uh, friends uh, 
around me, we all kind of practice a little bit less uh, self-deprecation. And so, I mean, all of us are trying to like, we'll be the first to like cut ourselves down. If like, Oh, I yeah. sent a bad note tonight, tonight's show or like, Oh, I played wrong. And it's like, is anyone really noticing? Like, because yeah. it is at such a level of either professionalism or skill not to like toot our own horn, but like we've been working hard. And so I think yeah. um, like call a spade a spade, in that way it's like hey if you're if you're working hard and the results are coming to fruition like you don't have to sit there and pat yourself on the back until you get a bruise but it's like acknowledge that and i think yeah. for me it's not like you can acknowledge it without being a pompous dick where it's like well, right i am a good singer yeah it's like, like, oh, thank you so much i appreciate it and like that's all yeah. it has to be yeah exactly so. yeah and i think uh you know in that song um uh, it just takes time. I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a nice self-reflection that examines everything from your personality to your life choices and even your upbringing to try to basically figure life out. Right. So, and I think the course is essentially spelling out that it's just a matter of time before you sort things out. Um, you know, I will say artists, especially uh, tend to analyze these things, uh, musicians, writers, um, they seem to have a more intense relationship with their inner self for better or worse. Sometimes it yeah. truly makes them crumble. Sometimes it makes them a better person. But do you see your life being made better or worse through your self-examination? Because the music seems to be turning out pretty good. Um, I think. Are you a tortured soul, Alec? For sure. I actually <laughs> had a conversation with a good friend yesterday where we uh, we are basically each other's uh, support group for tortured souls. So that was <laughs> That's very prescient that you say that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I am. And that's not like, yippee. Like, it is something that I work on and struggle with every day and am doing my best to kind of like keep myself moving. Yeah. Um, I think depression and anxiety are real. And I like that's all kind of mixed together with, or I guess that uh, chicken or the egg tortured soul, anxiety, depression. Um, but I think when it's uh, pushed in the right direction, rather than just like holding it all in, I think that helps where it's like, I still have these things that I'm working on. Um, it's a long list, but I think when I can maneuver and fuel my music with that, I think that's that's kind of feels like a superpower of like, yeah. I can, I'm having a really hard time with this X, Y, Z issue. How can I move that into something that's creative that will help me feel a little bit better? Um, even if it's like moving the dial an inch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think that's kind of creatives in general. It's, that's why it's like the plight of the creative. It's that overthinking that overanalyzing and, and a lot of times it's good like oh i have this imaginative like strength but at the same time like that can get overworked really quick or yeah. run too far run too fast and then i'm kind of spiraling and so i think when directed appropriately it's healthy so yeah and i didn't actually have this uh, question written out but this is something you know i've, I've written I don't know, hundred songs over the last yeah. 20 years or so. Um, and have performed a couple of times. 
some of the songs. Now, one of the songs in particular, it's called Astronaut. It was, it's kind of a dual song where I wrote it about an astronaut going to outer space after having an argument with his wife and kid uh, the day before, goes up into space, doesn't come back, crashes upon reentry. Um, and like his last thought was love, like the, the, the day he met her or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually a, an, 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 an allegory essentially or an okay. analogy of my dad's life who wanted to become a pilot couldn't because he had kids when he was like 18 um so every time i sing it like i kind of get a little teary-eyed because i'm like i know what it means to me personally even though it has no clear reflection of, of to what the lyrics mean or or say sure. i was just curious like did you ever have something like that where you're kind of just like shit this is hard to kind of perform you kind of like tear up a little bit every time you do it yeah um there's a few actually safari room songs that depending on the day are hard for me to play um uh what is this uh myths the last song on the record yeah. uh i like I, I almost kind of can't get through rehearsal even um <laughs> like there was i think rehearsal before we had our album release show back in may and i remember just like kind of breaking down and it was just like everyone was like very comforting and welcoming and there's yeah. lots of love but it's one of those they things. were just standing there like well this is awkward like, what a weirdo <laughs> look at that guy and touch his feelings <laughs> no it, i mean and, and i think that's the that's kind of the support that we all give one another is that like being willing to be vulnerable because i think music yeah. is a big part um vulnerability and i think with especially with lead singers and whatnot the person who's delivering the, the, the lyrics, it's, it is that vulnerability. And so I think yeah. letting myself kind of like get right to the edge without going over and like becoming kind of a, a, a mess on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I actually think we performed that there and then I think we played it in Omaha. And for some reason that it really got me there just because I was seeing a lot of like friends and family and yeah. we started to kind of cultivate a cool audience there. And I think that that hit me kind of hard. Um, and then I'm trying to think glass box is another one that over the years has kind of taken to be a different message. Glass box is off our first record. Yeah. Um, actually wrote it even wow. years before that we put, uh, it was on an EP that the band put out very beginning of like 2017 and so I wrote it about kind of just general loneliness. And then um, 2018, I had a friend uh, overdose and he and I shared a lot of sentiment about kind of the darkness, loneliness, all kind of stuff like that. And it was right around the time that I was like, oh, I think Glass Box needs to be on this record. I want to re- re-record it. And it kind of was like, all right, that's for that's for Drew. And so that song kind of, since I kind of merged the, the narrative with his being, um, has been kind of hard for me as well, but yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, so definitely there are songs out there and I even think songs that I'm writing right now, I'm like, shit, I don't know how I'm going to perform that line. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of the, the real, the real uh, projection of catharsis, right? So like when you're trying to get through your own emotions, sometimes the emotions win and it's just weird. Yeah. And you don't even know when it's going to happen. It just pops out. 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of just allowing myself to be emotional. And yeah. I think not that I've ever just been like a emotionless robot, um, but I think being an artist, being a creative, and just being a human, um, I think we're we're going through a very interesting time in humankind where vulnerability and being open and uh, emotive are yeah. important because it's like. Yeah after we're coming off of like two years of not being like everyone not being well um yeah. and lonely and stuff like kind of getting back together and being um patient and kind with people uh is important especially when they're not in the best headspace so yeah well let's talk about the future because yeah it's not the it's not the too distant future you are working on essentially potentially an album number three You've written the last two albums in basically a span of three years. So you've got two albums and a third one on the way. First of all, how the hell do you have so much time to write all these songs? <laughs> Secondly, what can we expect from this new album or what, whatever it might be? Uh, and what may be similar and different to the previous albums? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't, I, I kind of move in a constant forward motion. Um, so I think, I just make time. I make time. I find time. So you don't have any kids though, right? That's, that's I don't have any kids. I just have a very ornery, uh, hound dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think, and I have a full-time job. And so obviously that's, that's tricky with time, but I think when I feel the muse, I run for it. Uh, yeah. I think sitting on my keister for two years during COVID, I think I wrote a, a ton and we're even polishing yeah. off some songs that um, were kind of songs that we toyed with putting on the last two records. And so it's like, everything is fair game when it comes to like the next wave of music. Um, yeah. I know that. So the next thing is just going to be a whole cover album, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're actually thinking about putting a cover on this next record. Um, so I, and I've, I always am hesitant to do that because I'm not sure, like, it's like, well, don't you want to listen to like the band's music? Yeah. Uh, but I see so many artists do it so eloquently that I'm like, that could be fun. Or if nothing else, just like put it out as a single. Um, well, I mean, if you just think about this, Limp Biscuit wouldn't have had a career if they didn't cover Faith. So, right. And then there's <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I think one of the biggest examples is uh, Hurt, like oh, yeah. the Nine Inch Nails song that, Trent Johnny Cash. basically like yeah johnny cash it's your song now that's fine yeah like yeah. you did it way better than you ever could have so i think that's such a cool thing um not that i have any expectation for us to have that happen um uh, but it's an arctic no it's not an arctic monkey song it's a last shadow puppets song um uh sweet uh, yeah sweet dreams tennessee and so i'm like gotcha. well, i i did it a long time ago in school and i thought it was kind of a fun song We'll see. I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah. But well, it's always nice to save it for live shows too and kind of slip it in there as a surprise. And it's like not even like lyrically like Safari Room. Like it's just like very sultry and like kind of derogatory and like not in like a offensive way, but it's just kind of like, oh, this is overtly about sex. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like which Safari Room lyrics are not about sex at all. Yeah. So it's like it could be kind of. Might as well throw in some Nelly lyrics yeah, or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> something a little bit funny or like do like naughty girl by like beyonce or something yeah <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I lost my train of thought, but yeah, so we're, we're working on what comes next. Um, I kind of put together about, I think it started as like 30 songs that were like either fully demoed or partially demoed. And that kind of whittled down to like 18. Um, as of today, we have six that are fully demoed and one that we have started fully tracking. Um, and more on the way. It's kind of funny. Um, I'm working with uh, Cole Yepsen, uh, the guy who produced um, our second record and alongside us and played bass on the road with us a decent amount last year and this year. Um, not last year, just this year. Yeah. Um, so he and I are kind of working as the, the creative like center and bouncing ideas off of him and then bringing those to Chris and Austin to um, add more uh, instrumentation and flesh them out further. And so sure. it's kind of fun to like allow someone else to be the sieve unless I'm like certain a song is going to be on the record or in this batch. Um, and so he's kind of like, all right, so we'll whittle them down to from 30 to 18. And then it's like, all right, well, I have all these voice memos that I've never really put into like session files and demoed out. And he's like, well, there's a lot that I like here. And I'm like, cool. Uh, so like, we'll run with those. And some of them are songs that I wrote two, three years ago where like he played one for me and I was like, I don't even remember writing that. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun to like go back and like brush the dust off of stuff because it's like, Oh, I don't even remember writing that. And I can approach it with a totally fresh, yeah set of eyes and ears and i think i like doing that writing something and then allowing myself to forget about it because then i can come back and judge more pragmatically or emotionally rather than be like oh this is amazing or like oh this totally sucks yeah. um because usually like the day after writing something i'll listen back and be like i don't know how i feel about this yeah, um, but giving time and a little bit more kindness, it's like, yeah, that one, that one doesn't really work, and that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah, I've done the same thing where I like I'll look back on some of the the songs I've written. I'm like, I don't remember this. Yeah, it's fucking way better than I remember it, but right. I don't remember it, writing it, any of this. Finding <laughs> like old gold that someone buried, yeah. and then you realize it's like, oh, that's my time capsule. Um, yeah. yeah, and so that's kind of fun. And like, I've got like like voice memos and like notebooks and like all that kind of stuff of like, I can just kind of pick through. I think I'm lucky in that way of my own uh, writing lack of structure, I suppose, of whenever it yeah. hits. Um, but yeah, so people always ask me, they're like, like, how do you like write a song? And it's like, ah, it's truly just chaos. Like <laughs> I can write it like from like starting with the drums or I can like write it and then pick it up three years later. So I think it's, however it crosses the finish line and feels good is, is like good with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so are you guys going to be playing any shows for the rest of the year? Or are you guys going to just be kind of focused on more recording? I think the main focus is recording um, with Austin and Chris having their hands and pies. They're out on the road a lot. And so Cole and I'll be working pretty closely and kind of catch them when they're back in town and knock out parts, kind of just a big chart to do list for the next three, four months and see how far we get. Um, nice. As for playing shows, I'm itching to play, I think one more show before the end of the year. Um, I'm eyeing kind of like October or early November and just do kind of like a big blowout 
um, at a venue here in Nashville. And I mean, if something comes up, hell yeah, we'll do it. I think yeah. it's just like we we toured so so aggressively last year. We played 30 shows within the span of like five months, which I feel like for an indie band, our, our size is a lot. And especially yeah. during COVID, it was a lot. Um, yeah. We did about 20 shows in about four months early this year. And I think just yeah. with like COVID restrictions and like shows getting canceled because of that stuff. And like, it just, I was happy to not schedule more shows for the time being just to kind of let this um, play out a little bit more. And I think yeah. general fatigue is a real thing and, and self-care is important, which I've, I've just found out as of recently, that's a good thing to do. Um, yeah. And so it's weird that people have been talking about it for like five like, years and it's you like, have huh. to take care of your body and your mind. It's yeah. <laughs> like give out from underneath you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think I find recording and writing to be super replenishing. And so yeah. I think after kind of a year and a half of me just doing the business part and like getting us out in the road and promoting music and stuff, it's, it's nice to be like, okay, we don't need to be like out, out and just, hibernate do what we need to to kind of keep the the general buzz going and really just kind of set up foundation for a big next swing so yeah and i know you did release a live album as well which is out there on the streaming platforms as well yep. um we'll add we'll add some links to the music all the music to the show uh yeah. show in the show notes below the episode i always say in the show below the notes i'm like yeah. <laughs> It's like people a know brain teaser. Right. If yeah. you've gotten it wrong every time, people know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I think just I just have to look below this episode. That's what he's trying to say. Okay. Um, but do you have anything else that you want to kind of mention or plug or shout out to anybody before we go? Uh, yeah. Today? I mean, our music, like we've kind of, we may not be incredibly active like at this moment, but like our goal is to open up the doors, let people into the house. And like, I, I, and I'm so grateful that like you, enjoyed it enough to have me come on here and we've had lots of cool conversations off mic and so yep. i think that's that's so cool to think that yes like the music still does resonate even if it didn't just come out yeah and it is still pretty young of being four months old um so yeah if if you're interested in uh indie rock uh then <laughs> what a week uh yeah i think it's great music that I think will move you in a certain way. So yeah, yeah, we got basically two records, two EPs and a live album. That's yep. of the whole first record. Um, yeah. So if you're looking to binge, listen to something, you know, instead of watching the next game of Thrones prequel or whatever, you can exactly. just listen to all the safari room stuff. Exactly. Are you watching that? No, I never even, wa I, I literally never watched game of Thrones. I watched one episode cause my roommate at the time, cause we were basically having uh, my wife's cousins stay with us while their house was getting built. Um, they were like, oh, you got to watch it. And they put on the first episode. And I was like, this is fucking boring. <laughs> like, I love Lord of the Rings. I'm watching that one. Yeah. Like, that one's good to me. Like, I I was just like, this is boring. Like, yeah, I've heard Lord of the I'm not a big fan of incest either. So, like. <laughs> it's a weird way to end a first. It's, it's a weird way to end a pilot to a show. Yeah. <laughs> and then push a kid out a window. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because he's going to tattle on you. Um, yeah, I'm not watching the... Spoiler, uh, spoiler. Yeah, whatever. If you haven't seen the first episode of Game of Thrones by now, I think you deserve yeah. it. Like, something got spoiled with Sopranos for me the other day, um, and I've never seen it, but I was kind of like, serves me right for not seeing Sopranos yet. Um, yeah. 
came out. Yeah, it's only been what ten years since the last episode or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think like and even with the the Lord of the Rings, I'm kind of like uh, it's cool. I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but I've heard it's yeah. beautiful to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, no. For me, it's just because my dad used to read us those books when we oh, were kids. Yeah. Like it's just like. It's seeing it now, it's like, oh man, this is like way cooler than I even imagined when I was a kid. Like I could see it, but I couldn't visualize the whole world in any right. setting. It's like too massive to try to put into your brain. Yeah. So that part's cool. But yeah, I don't know, Game of Thrones, whatever. Like yeah. I don't need all the sex and conquest of like the the love triangles and stuff. I'm like, I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. Like right. I just want show me the the, the, the tensions oh, no. between tribes and stuff. Right. Yeah, like the big politics of it all, which is kind of yeah. interesting, but yeah, that show went off the off the rails, and they did not <laughs> want to watch you know, whatever comes next. But yeah, instead yeah. of binging that, uh, binge listen to Safari Room, and also exactly all of Powered by Rock's uh, previous episodes. Yeah, I'm gonna go listen to them with Tim Casher. That makes me really excited. Oh yeah, hell of an interview. I love that guy. Like yeah. he's super gracious too. I was I, like I can even message him every once in a while. He'll message me back. I'm like, oh shit, thanks. Oh shit. <laughs> I guess they're we're like this. We're like best br- best oh brothers. Oh my gosh! Now. Well, can you put a good word in? I'd love the tour with cursive. <laughs> well, I will say that I have uh, submitted you guys to Fifteen Passenger, which is the label for cursive, and to uh, um, Saddle Creek. So we'll see if anything comes uh, back. I grew up listening to artists on Saddle Creek, so you just made my damn day. That's very kind yeah. of you. We'll see uh, if they say anything. I was going to surprise you when they actually reply and go, they're fucking shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> if they do, send that to me, and I'm going to blast it on socials. Be like, yeah. I got rejected by my hero. It's dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, and, like, somehow, like, there's always love on the other side where it's like, oh, people are like, no, you're great. And it's like, you just, like, give them, like, hate, and they respond with love. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. But One I, last I, question before we yeah, sign off but, today. What new music other than Safari Room would you recommend people check out? Mm, I actually have been just immersing myself in new records today. Um, Madison Cunningham um, has a new record called Revealer, and it currently may be my favorite record of the year. Nice. Um, I'm a few songs into Def Cab's new album. It is heavier hitting than I think any of their previous records. Um, I always preach the gospel of idols. Um, They put a record out last year if you don't listen to them and you like punk music and like love and kindness you should listen to them um barty's strange put out a phenomenal record uh farm the table year yeah i mean just incredible fucking brilliant and so i I have a feeling he might win a grammy or two for that one yeah i think so grammys don't matter but they like he deserves them um (laughs) i think it's it's just such a beautifully crafted and like honest record um and i really enjoy his kind of style it feels very fresh and unique and not something that i thought would necessarily be like as popular it is and that's not saying anything negative about his music it's kind of a comment on what is yeah. popular music and I so i feel like he's like a good mix between like george ezra and childish gambino absolutely, it's just, absolutely. And it's just really cool music and yeah um he sings and plays like a motherfucker so like i'm yeah. i'm so so impressed by that record yeah um god there's so many well you only needed to name one so you're good oh perfect i was about i can yeah. get my phone out and list them um we'll put it in the show notes uh, yeah yeah all Alex holy Mason. fuck how many things do i gotta look up now <laughs> 
yeah. No. I want to thank you so much, Alec, for being here. Obviously, Alec from Safari Room for being on the show. It's been an awesome conversation. Guys, make sure you go to the show notes below this episode. Got it right this time. Because, you know, you're going to see some of the music, the links, all that stuff there. And make sure to check it out because these guys are going to be blowing up in the near future, I have a feeling. I think it's only a matter of time before you start hearing more of Safari Room and more about Safari Room. Uh, and if this is like the precipice or the first starting point or the catalyst or something for that happening, uh, that makes it even better. But uh, just remember, guys, the Powered by Rock podcast is powered by our listeners. So if you want to show us some support, please be sure to subscribe and share the podcast on social media. You can also make a donation to the podcast to help us keep making awesome episodes with awesome guests. It's not required, but everything is obviously welcome. Uh, you can find that link in the notes as well. You can see the full inter- full video interview on our YouTube channel and Spotify now as well because, hell, we just put everything up on video now. If you want to check out some of our articles, album reviews, lists, and interviews, go to poweredbyrock.com to read our absolutely free rocking blog. Also, you can find our merch and gear so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, rock on. Supposed to be easy It's come